Hi everyone, welcome back to another Bacon a Mystery. <laughs> welcome back to another Bacon a Mystery where we bake some goods on YouTube at Miss Mango Butt, just in case you guys are only listening to the audio on Rotten Mango Podcast. It's Bacon a Mystery. Well, I bake something, I tell you about a little bit of a mystery that I recently read. Honestly, you know what I wish I could be telling you about. Let me give you a little bit of a lowdown on something that I've been continuously obsessed with since the day that this was released. If you guys have not watched HBO's Max's Murder at White House Farms, I don't know what the fork you're doing right now because you need to go and you need to watch it right now. So this is a mystery that most Americans have never heard about, which is kind of mind-boggling because you are talking about almost an entire family was murdered in one night. And I mean, there was only one surviving family member who is, I mean, this person's so controversial. There's so much intrigue and mystery in this. So think about it. It starts off simple and you think, you know what? I know how this story goes. I know exactly what I'm talking about right now, which is the fact that, hey, there is a woman by the name of Sheila. She was inside of this farm with her family members, her two sons. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So obviously she killed her family and then killed herself. That's what the police said. That's what they firmly believed until lots of evidence started coming forward. First of all, there was so much questions and still is to this day about are the police even handling the evidence in this case correctly? And second of all, the shotgun itself was too long for Sheila to use it on herself. So how could you even, how does that, so then you're like, okay, fine. Sheila didn't murder her family and then kill herself. Then who did? Who murdered all of them? I mean, it's really mind-boggling. At first, you think you know something, and every single episode of this mini-series called Murder on White House Farms by HBO Max, it just, like, the mystery gets deeper and deeper, and the minute that you're like, I know what's popping, they're like, no, you don't. And if you guys are into Game of Thrones, there's actually three familiar faces that are going to be in this series, and it's just highly bingeable. This is probably one of the most bingeable, like, recreations of a crime that I've ever watched in my entire life. And you guys know how passionately I feel about podcasts. They actually have a podcast that goes with it so they have like different episodes that focus on different things and they interview people it's so good I mean this whole project was just done so masterfully so if you guys are interested in HBO Max or if you haven't signed up already I'm gonna leave all of their links in the description and thank you HBO Max for sponsoring today's bacon a mystery so we're gonna make some rice crispy treats today with my rice crispy shirt and I'm gonna be talking about Dodge Hutchinson's butterfly garden I'm gonna first uh, bits. So first of all, this book, this is going to be kind of an angry rant plus a bacon and mystery because there are certain parts of this book that I am so absolutely incredibly upset about. And I don't know if I should point them out now or if I should point them out at the end. There's going to be a lot of times if you guys... See, I don't know if I recommend people read this book. The story itself is so good. There's just a couple of things that I have a little bit of a pickle about. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I'm obsessed with true crime. And so when you are reading a crime story, when you're already so obsessed with true crime and your day-to-day is obsessed with like learning the procedurals of a true crime, like learning all of these things, and that's just a lot, okay? So this book, I got it because of this. There's an isolated mansion and inside of the mansion, there's this garden and there's someone called the garden 
Gardener. That's the serial killer's name. He likes to kidnap little girls off the street of New York City, bring them into his garden, and he turns them all into butterflies so that he could keep them forever. There is no weird science thing to it. He just tattoos butterflies into them and then he kills them. And Wait, it's. They turn them into actual butterflies? No, he tattoos giant butterfly wings onto their back. He lets them roam around in his little garden and then he kills them. Whoa. And that's why it's called the Butterfly Garden. Exactly. I had the same reaction. I read the description. I was like, oh. So I bought it. I bought it. And now what happens in this one is a bit of a Fifty Shades of Grey meets a serial killer type of situation. And I just don't know how I feel about it, okay? There are certain parts of the story where I think the author was trying to make the assault less um, intense. So they just kind of breeze through the assault. And then they talk about all the other stuff that happens in the garden. So it almost makes you kind of like the gardener at certain parts in the book and i'm not the only one that had a little bit of a pickle with that because it almost kind of makes the gardener seem like a pretty chill ass dude and he's wealthy he's loaded and you're like sugar zaddy who and then you're like oh just kidding he's a serial killer but then you almost forget because he's like written about as like this really cool mysterious man he looks like george clooney type of vibe and then you're like wait a second this is not okay but anyways the story itself if you can get past that if you can get past the fact that somehow the author makes you not want to punch the serial killer in the face like repeatedly the whole time then you're gonna love this book because honestly the plot holy cow let's get started so it all starts with fbi agent victor now the whole the whole book is kind of told after one of the butterflies well all the butterflies escape so they catch the serial killer and now the fbi agent is questioning one of the butterflies also what are you yeah. making I'm baking Rice Krispies, bit. Oh, I gotta melt chocolate, thanks. So I'm making Rice Krispie monsters. So what you do is you get Rice Krispie treats and then you get some white chocolate and then you put some food coloring in there and then you dip it, sprinkle it. You know these little candy eyeballs? Yeah. Stick them. Stick them. I'm gonna microwave this real quick, hold on. Uh, so I microwave the chocolate, okay? Now we're adding some orange food coloring, then we're gonna add some green food coloring in the spirit of Halloween, but let's get into the story. So FBI agent Victor, he is interviewing one of the butterflies and all of them have been kind of rescued. The FBI is just finding out about the serial killer. They had just arrested everyone involved. I mean, it's kind of a shit show. So the reason that they're interviewing this one girl, we don't even know her name yet. Let's call her Maya because that was the name given to her at the butterfly garden because the gardener likes to rename all of his butterflies. So her name is Maya and she's being held for questioning. The doctor said that she's a little bit banged up. She's bandaged everywhere. She's got the giant butterfly tattoo on her back and FBI agent Victor knows this because he heard from the other agents that he's working on the case with that every single girl has a different butterfly on their back, like a different species of butterfly even. So, I mean, it's just all a little bit creepy. And so the reason that he's interviewing Maya in particular not the rest of the girls because all of them are at the hospital is because for some reason the FBI has an inkling that could she be involved in this somehow they can't say for sure that Maya herself is just a full victim. Like, oh. was she recruiting girls? There's just something about her that's alarming. All the other girls keep looking to her as leadership. None of them, none of the other girls will even talk to their parents in the hospital until they talk to Maya first. So there's just some weird sh 
going on especially because he's watching her through the little interrogation room right now and he feels like you know is she really reacting like a victim would react like she doesn't seem all that traumatized she seems a little bit sassy a little bit um intense right now more than anything so he goes in and he introduces himself as fbi agent victor and he starts asking her questions about the butterfly garden and the reason that she's not really scared of talking to the FBI, he, that she said, is because, you know, she talked to the gardener, and I feel like that's scarier. So you get an idea that this gardener dude, the serial killer, is kind of a creepy man. Like, he's really intense. He's scarier than the FBI. So we get into her little story a little bit, and she says that she doesn't have anyone to call to. She refuses to give her name. She refuses to give her age. They think that she's anywhere between 16 and 22, but not much else. Like, she's just saying, like, are we done? Like, can you let me go so they start questioning her more and they ask her like why are you not scared of talking to us like why are you so chill right now and she says it's no different from talking to the gardener and they're like you talk to the dude's gardener and she's like no the dude is the gardener so then we get a pov into what maya experienced so she said that she was kidnapped and she woke up in this cold rooms just drugged up all she remembered is that she had this massive headache the floor was cold she was completely naked and she was coming to and she heard this voice and she couldn't even open her eyes like she felt like this was the worst hangover that she's ever had in her entire freaking life and she hears a voice that says hey hey take some Advil. Here, drink this glass of water. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she realized was that she was so shocked that she had been kidnapped, first of all. But second of all, it was a girl's voice. And she's like, what? And so she wakes up, she takes some Advil, and she's looking around and she's like, what is this? And the other girl who's wearing this black little like sleek dress, it almost looks like a designer dress of sorts. You know, she's saying things like, it's okay, it's okay, the gardener doesn't want to see you yet. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she says, here, let me get you up. So she gets up, she gives her another of the matching same black dress. Now this black dress is almost like a silk dress. It's a camisole and it covers most in the front and it goes all the way down to either your knees or the ground and the back is completely bare so it like loops down like a silk drapey like cocktail dress and it touches right above your little butt cheek and she's like why do i have to wear this like this is really strange and she walks outside and there's multiple doors inside of this hallway and as they walk outside she walks into one of the biggest atriums she's ever seen in her life like a greenhouse almost there's literally a 20 foot man-made waterfall in the center of it there's real butterflies that are flying around there's literally birds there's trees and there's a pond and she's like what the fork is this why did i get kidnapped to come to like the best vegas hotel that i've ever seen in my fucking life is this the bellagio you know she's a little bit confused and the girl says we're his butterflies and the girl turns around and Maya sees literally giant butterfly wings covering the entire girl's back, tattooed on. That's why the dress. That's why the dress. She has nothing yet? Nothing yet. And so for the first week that she's there, she's drugged up the entire time. And the girl's name, we learn, is Lynette. But we're going to call her Lynn because for some reason I have a really freaking hard time saying the word Lynette. So Lynn, she's been there for a couple years now. She was also kidnapped. And she said, don't tell me your name because it doesn't matter. The gardener will give you a new name once your wings are done. 
And she said, you might as well just forget your old name because it really does not matter. So Lynette explains that the butterfly garden, the first week that you're there, the gardener wants to see if you're going to acclimate well, right? So he keeps you drugged up. He puts pills in your lunch, breakfast, dinner, everything like that. And you're just loopy and out of it because a lot of girls have actually tried to throw themselves off of the 25 foot pond in order to end their lives. And sometimes it has been successful. So Lynette says, don't try to kill yourself because it's not going to be good for anyone. And so she's just drugged up the rest of the week and she's really confused like what's going on how does someone have this amount of money and what do you mean we're the butterflies like why are we called butterflies she also notices that multiple times a week the every single door so she gets her own little room and it just has a bed it has a shower and a sink and a toilet and like a little bookcase that's it so she has her own room lynn has her own room and a couple times a week there's these metal frames that come down and hide those doors and she asked lynn about it and she said it makes it look like just a regular hallway instead of making it look like there's actually doors behind it. It's soundproof and the reason that these doors exist is because the gardener has his actual gardeners come in twice a week to take care of the garden and the butterflies can't be seen by the real gardeners. Oh my god, this is so trippy. Yeah, look at how cute. That's kind of cute. That's cute. And the crazy thing is, there's a ton of other girls there. So Lynn said that they, he has about 20 butterflies at any given time. And they're all there being held captive. They've all been kidnapped. They all have new names. Don't ask them about their old names because you could get killed if you talk about your old life here. You have to just act like a fucking butterfly. And she says that none of the new butterflies like get talked to by the old butterflies. So the 20 butterflies that are there, they won't talk to the new girl because it's too stressful. It's too stressful for them to go through the phase of like someone being confused or someone being like when do I get out of here right because they've all been here for years and they're like well you don't get out of here nobody gets out of here and so they just don't talk to her and Lynn is kind of like this like mother of the garden she's kind of the one that's like here let me guide you through let me tell you it's gonna be okay even though it's really not gonna be okay and so finally after that week Maya wakes up on a cold table she had been knocked out by her pills in her dinner and she wakes up on a cold table and that's when she gets meets the gardener for the first time he is a middle-aged man he is relatively handsome but he's not like ugly and creepy looking he looks like a normal business dude you know and there's one thing about him that she immediately notices is the fact that he's incredibly meticulous he likes to do everything in order he has a plan for everything and he shows her this massive butterfly tattoo and he says are you scared of needles because i can drug you up for this process and she said no so he decides to show her the picture and this was like a specific butterfly species and everything and it was horrendously beautiful that's how she could describe it like it was technically beautiful but it was also so horrendous it's almost like if you guys have ever seen a butterfly up close in person they're kind of scary you know like when you see them from afar just flying it's beautiful but then when you see them up close and then you see all of like the hairs and like this and that it's almost kind of terrifying for some reason and she said that's how she felt about the rings there were so many details it was so ornate it was so intense and she just she didn't know what to do she just kind of was like okay um why and he told her you know because this is a butterfly garden and you guys are my butterflies and she even said you know is there any way to make this a metaphorical thing like can i just get some like little wings i can put on like do you really have to tattoo my whole back for this Uh and he said you know 
I think this is why Lynn likes you. She's just as sassy as you, right? Or something like that. And he puts her down on the table and he starts tattooing her. And this is a process that would take weeks. Now, she was to stay away from the other girls. She wasn't allowed to be given a name until she had her full set of wings, until they had fully healed and they were ready to go and she was ready to be a real butterfly. She had to stay away from them. She had to take all of her breakfast, lunch, and dinners by herself. And Lynn would come and she would hang out with her and she would rub little ointments on there. And he was just a meticulous tattooer. Everything he did, like the way that he would do everything, put the needle away get the ink everything was done in such a weird meticulous way that she just it was just frightening and she was starting to get scared because she realized that not once did she ask the guy if it was okay if she didn't have these butterfly wings like he just did it to her and she never really tried to fight back like it just happened she was scared to find out what would happen if she said no to the wings oh that's cute so the FBI director is like, okay, like, what's your name? Like, you haven't told us anything. Like, we're trying to figure out who the other girls are. We got a lot of their names in the hospital. You refuse to give the hospital your name. You keep telling us that your name is Maya, but we know that that's just the name that the butterfly person gave you. Like, what's your freaking name? And they asked her, okay, fine. If you don't want to tell us your name, what was your life like before all of this? Like, what did you do something? Like, were you in school? Were you in college? Can you tell us that, right? And she said that life before the butterfly garden, because she had been there for about two and a half years, was that she used to work at a restaurant in New York City. She went to this very busy Italian restaurant, literally the owner of the restaurant. He was this really sweet guy. He was amazing. He was an amazing boss. And he would pretend to have this thick Italian accent. And all day, he would talk in this thick accent to all of his employees. And then at night, after they closed, they'd be like, okay, like all the customers are gone. And he'd be like, oh, thank God. Because he felt like the people would like it more if it was a real Italian owner that owned the (laughs) restaurant. And so he would pretend to be like this crazy Italian owner, right? And so she started working there she was pretty much homeless like staying at shelters at the time and all of the hostesses and the waitresses said hey you know like you're a nice person do you want to come live with us like we share this one little loft and it's literally just eight beds like right next to each other with like a locker at the end of the bed and I mean it's like $200 a month all the utilities are paid it's not bad most of them were students that were working at the restaurant and there was also one person who was the mom of the group her name was Sophia and she was a retired hooker um she has two children she was also a drug addict that she was recovering from doing drugs so she just wanted to get clean so that she could have her daughters back and it was kind of nice like Sophia would go through all of these little moments where she wanted to do drugs again and what they would do is they would literally stick her into a taxi go to her foster care house and the foster parents were amazing like they were so good about Sophia so they would just let her in and let her see her daughters and she would all of that need would just kind of dissipate so she remembers it sucked. I mean, it was real weird. Like there was a dude who would literally camp outside of their apartment door, like not even the apartment complex door, but their loft door who would just like camp outside trying to get in. So they would always like, if they got home late at night, they would go up to the roof, climb down the fire escape and climb through the window into their loft. So they were like, it's not necessarily the best thing ever. It was honestly really shitty. There was lots of roaches in the apartment. But now looking back, she said it was like heaven. And so the directors are like, okay, so tell us about how you got the name Maya then. Mm -hmm. And she said it happened when her wings were fully done. So all of the tattoo was done. There was some detailing that was still healing, but majority of it had already healed. And that's when he took a good look at the tattoo, the gardener, and he flipped her over onto her back. And he said, now it's time to give this butterfly a name. And he chose the name Maya. And he would grunt Maya as he, you know, 
assaulted her for the first time. So that would be the first time all the butterflies get assaulted is once their wings are done. This is so sick. Yeah. yeah. But then it gets weirder. And so after her tattoo is done, she's considered to be acclimated, which means that all the other butterflies are going to kind of come talk to her because it doesn't look like she's going to die anytime soon. Because if you say no to the gardener or if you're throwing tantrums for the first couple of weeks that you're there, something bad happens to you. Like you're not going to be there anymore. And so the girls finally start talking to her. And one of the first girls that she met was named Bliss. So this is all literally the gardener's name. So that's not her real name. So she hates her fucking name Bliss, right? But whatever. She's like, it's fine. That's what he calls me. I let him call me that because I don't want to die. And so she meets Bliss and they all have a different species of butterfly wings on their back. And she's just kind of like thrown off by this. Like what is wrong with this place? Like how are you guys just acting like this is normal everyday life? Like, oh, what is your butterfly species? Like, what does it look like? And they're just looking at it. They're like, oh, he calls me bliss. And they never talk about their life before. They never talk about trying to escape. Like, they just kind of accepted it. And bliss had been there for a couple years at this point. So she becomes best friends with bliss and Lynn because all of the other butterflies, they're all very interesting. So some of them are kind of like suck ups where they think that the nicer they are to the gardener means that they have a chance of like surviving after this. And then you have some that just like are kind of a little bit emotionally distraught all the time even though it's been like three years since they've gotten there. And then you have Bliss, Lynn, and you have Maya, who all of them, they just kind of do their own thing. Like if the gardener does something to them, they don't participate. This is according to the book, but they don't fight it and they don't encourage it. They just are trying to get by, right? Um, so that's kind of like the little trio of friends that is formed inside of this butterfly garden. And she was telling her, Bliss was telling Maya, the new girl, saying things like, don't forget your old name but never think about it. Like, don't ever identify as your new name. You want to answer to it. You want to respond when he calls you that name and you want to respond when other girls call you by this new name, Maya. But don't ever think that you are Maya because you're not Maya. And if you start believing that you're Maya, you're going to fucking lose your marbles. And bad shit happens to you when you lose your marbles around here. And so Lynn is like, shh, bliss. Like, she literally fucking got here. What do you mean bad things happen to you? check the back hallways and don't do it after you eat. So she's like, check the back hallways. And Lynn's like, oh, fine. So they go to the back hallways. Can you guess it? No. Dead people? And she walks through the hallways and she sees rows of glass cases filled with resin. You know, that preserves, it's clear resin. It almost looks like glass mm -hmm. and girls. And they all have their butterfly wings pointed outwards. It's all his butterflies. He keeps dead body in a glass? Mm hmm With like preservatives. Like how they preserve butterflies? Yeah. Ah! And with their wings showing. How many are there? A lot. Like 20 plus. Oh my god. And so you realize this, and that's when we go back to the FBI interrogation. So half of the FBI team is currently at the Butterfly Garden trying to take note of all the evidence. The other half of the FBI team is at the hospital trying to ID the girls, trying to see where they're from, because a lot of them weren't even from the state. This is happening in Maryland, by the way. And this girl, Maya, she was from fucking New York City. So they're like, we need to know where the hell these girls came from, how long they've been missing, who is their family, like who do we contact, how old are these girls, like what 
what is the damage? They don't even know how to start this case. And the FBI are sitting here also questioning Maya, who seems to be some sort of ringleader of this group. And they need to realize, does she have any connection with the gardener that happened before the kidnapping? Was she part of the kidnapping? Is this a fake story? Is she like the daughter of the gardener? Is she like the girlfriend of the gardener? Like, is she a recruited employee of the gardener? They need to get to the bottom of it. And that's when Agent Victor gets a call. And this call is going to fork him up. So apparently the gardener had kept all of the IDs of every single girl that he had ever kidnapped. And he was a very meticulous person. He had a library inside of the butterfly garden where he would keep all of these records and he would keep all of like the pictures of their butterfly tattoos that he had designed. He kept everything and it would almost seem like he would look back on them with joy, right? And they realize two things are an issue. First of all, Maya's real name is Inara. Now, Inara though didn't exist until about four and a half years ago. The real Inara, she died when she was two years old in the 70s. So this is a fake ID. This is a fake identity that she had. So who the hell was she before she was Inara four and a half years ago? So now you had four and a half years ago, Inara came to be. And then two years ago, Maya came to be. Who the hell is this Beats? So they've got that issue. And then another issue is that one of the girls who had been taken and she had been missing for about four and a half years, her name in the garden was Ravina. But in real life, it was Patrice Kingsley. And she was actually a senator's daughter who had been kidnapped. So now that they know that they have a senator's daughter who is involved in this, I mean, it's game over. Like, there's no way this is just going to be an FBI type of investigation. They're going to have politics involved. They're going to have so many other strings going for them. And if the senator gets a word that the FBI is questioning one of the victims right now, they're going to put two and two together and they're going to think that something is wrong with Inara. And the minute that they feel like something's wrong with Inara, there's no coming back. What does that mean? Because all the girls are in the hospital. The FBI is questioning one girl. Why would they question one girl? And they don't want the senator to find out? No, until they can get to the bottom of it. Because that's not the senator's job. This is the FBI's job. What is the senator going to do? Like, try to make it be like, this bitch did it. Like, this bitch is part of it. Like, she yeah. should be in jail with the rest of the little criminals that are in jail right now. So they're just really worried. They just didn't want anyone in the press to know that they're even questioning one of the victims. Because then it draws the question of, like, is this a victim? Is this not a victim? And then they just don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. They want to get to the bottom of it. So they're like, we need to speed this up so the agent victor is slams down her inara id and is like listen i know that you're not inara because inara didn't exist up until four and a half years ago so explain everything right now and so she gets into this long convoluted just spiel about her childhood so her childhood is very interesting right we still don't know her name when she was a kid so we're just gonna call her maya so it's not confusing okay so maya when she was young she was born into a very well-off family her mom was actually um a massive socialite so by the time that she had maya she already had like five different husbands and all of them died all of them were very very old when they married maya's mom and all of them left you know her a good chunk of money so she would continue on and she would spend that chunk of money and then she'd be like i need another chunk of money so she would then go as a 20 year old marry an 80 year old man and have kids with him and get a good chunk of his money when he dies and it was just a continuous process now with Maya's dad though she did end up marrying Maya's dad and he wasn't rich he was actually very broke and he was the same age as Maya's mom and this was more of like a love connection at first until it went sour because she just felt like you're the man you're supposed to be paying for my nice car you're supposed to be paying for my nice clothes and they would constantly 
fight. And they would just fight nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. There was this one time where they pretended to be good parents because their little couples counselor was like, hey, you should spend time with your daughter. Maybe that will give you some more love in this relationship. Feel like a family unit. So they decided to take her to a carousel. You know, the little horses that go round and round. She was really, really young. So they plop her onto the carousel. And because the parents were trying to divorce at the time, the dad was standing here, the mom was standing here. And they were just watching her. The other families were watching their kids, like standing together, like waving every time the kid went by. And she would go back and forth on the carousel. And the parents would just be scowling at each other across the carousel. And then she saw her dad talking to another woman and then her mom talking to another dude and eventually after like an hour of the carousel both of her parents like went to go grab a coffee with a different person and she was too short to get off the carousel by herself so she was fucking just going round and round for hours and she was crying her eyes out going round and round on the carousel and that was the last time she ever cried because that's when she felt like my fucking parents don't love me so she gets off the carousel. She goes home with her parents. They divorce soon after that. And they drop her off at grandma's house. And they're like, you're going to live with grandma now. She hates her grandma. Her grandma's house is weird. Her grandma has a thing with a taxidermy. She likes stuffed animals. To the point where, you know how like sometimes you go to someone's house who likes taxidermy. I've never been to someone's house who likes taxidermy. But maybe you have. Um, it's like a moose. Sometimes it's like a fucking bear. Um, but her grandma was so obsessed with it that she would find roadkill and take it to the taxidermist and be like, can you stuff this German shepherd who died? Um, can you stuff my neighbor's cat? Can you stuff my neighbor's um, French bulldog who is now dead? What? So like the neighbor's dogs would die. Like the grandma didn't kill the pets, but they would die. And the grandma would be like, you know what? Let me take it off your hands. And they'd be like, okay. And then she would go get them stuffed and she would just put stuffed dogs in cats all over the house like imagine how creepy that is so she never liked her grandma and so the first couple of months literally she walks in to say hi grandma and her grandma is busy watching soap operas that she doesn't even turn around she's just like hey your room's upstairs and so she goes into her room and she's like wow this is my freaking life right and she just goes to school from there she just stays at the house all day and she kind of already knew something about um something about pedophiles okay there was something about pedos so when she was living with her parents the next door neighbor was actually a foster family and she knew that the dad was a pedo and she could tell not because people talked about it not because the dad ever hit on her up until later but it was because you could kind of see it in the kids like the foster kids like you can see it like you can look at them and know that something was wrong this is according to the book i don't know okay bits and she said that one time after the carousel her parents had actually ditched her so they never picked her up so she ended up calling the foster dad because she had her neighbor's phone numbers and that was it and he came to pick her up dropped her off at home and he said now you have to pay me for the ride and he said like you gotta lick my little lollipop and so she decided she said okay and then when she went down she stuck her finger into the back of her throat until she puked all over him and then honked the dude's horn and his wife came out and found out that he was molesting the foster children Wow. And so they got a divorce and they ended up moving away. So she was very familiar with what it looks like and what it feels like when an old dude is not just creepy. Like, not just a creepy weirdo, right? Like, you know when they're like, 
you get it right and so she said that the grandma's gardener was like that like the lawnmower like the gardener I, I know it's getting confusing with the serial killer right but the gardener was like that and so he would always come over and he would always smile at her and call her pretty girl and he would always call her pretty girl and he would literally chase her around the lawn sometimes and one time he even chased her back into the house because he didn't know that the grandma was home and she had knocked over one of the stuffed dogs by the entryway and her grandma yelled at her saying keep it down because she couldn't hear her soap opera so she kind of knew what was going on when she entered the butterfly garden because she understands what's popping and by the way she was 16 when she entered the butterfly garden and i do want to mention something it's really hard to understand age in this book because None of the people who are 16 act 16. Not saying that um, people have different levels of maturity, but Maya, who is 16, had a rough childhood her entire life, acts like a certified KBG officer. She acts tougher than FBI agents. I mean, it's very confusing. Like, I know it right now it could be like, well, Stephanie, she's gone through trauma. She had to grow up fast. But like, when you read the book, it's not that type of vibe. It's just like, it's just kind of like a vibe of like, I think she's 60 and I think she's killed some people in her life before. I don't think that she, it's just a weird vibe. I feel like if you read it, you're like, no, I know exactly what you mean, right? That was, I mean, it's also in reviews, so I'm not the only one that thinks this way. Now the FBI agents are saying, okay, so what happened to Lynn? Like, let's go back to the butterfly garden. And I think the one thing with the book that is a little bit nuanced is the fact that the conversation is all over the place. The story is told all over the place because you are talking about FBI agents who are talking to a victim of a young girl like she's young so they can't immediately be like what happened there tell me now right so they're like so let's go back to the garden you know tell me about Lynette like how is Lynn and what happened to Lynn is she at the hospital what's Lynn's real name if we could get that you know and she said okay well this is where it gets even creepier so one day Lynette had asked Bliss and Maya to sleep in her room at night and this was kind of normal amongst the butterflies so life in the butterfly garden was not as scary as you would think i mean it was scary but it's not as scary it was overall pretty boring like the gardener had cameras everywhere there was mics everywhere and so he would i guess watch you listen to you she doesn't even know how often he would watch those cameras nobody knew but if he wanted you he would literally just come and find you and usually take you to your room and then he would leave and there was about 20 butterflies he was busy most of the weekdays so he would come on weekends sometimes he'd be gone for like a whole week because of business we don't really know why so sometimes he wouldn't even visit you once a month so the rest of the time you're just trying not to lose your marbles in there and it was really boring there wasn't really rules you had to eat breakfast lunch and dinner and that was about it so it was kind of like a just like a little hotel and so Lynette had invited the girls to stay with her that night and so this is not very abnormal sometimes the girls have sleepovers in the garden so they went over to Lynn's room and this time she was acting a little bit weird so Lynn was kind of like the mother of all the girls but this time she seemed kind of weak she seemed like crying teary-eyed and confused and they laid down in bed and Lynn says tomorrow is my 21st birthday and that's when Bliss said oh my god you didn't tell us and she said because it wouldn't really change anything but I don't know what to do I don't know if I should fight I kind of want to put up a fight. Like, I kind of don't want it to be easy for him. But I also don't want that to make it more painful for me. And that's where we learned that 21 was the age that the gardener felt was the peak of the butterfly. And butterflies have very short lives. 
And so he felt like if he doesn't preserve the butterfly when they turn 21, then he will lose the peak beauty of the butterfly. So that's why all of those girls were encased in glass because they turned 21. And they saw on her little table in Lynn's room that there was a dress folded up. And all of the girls, they all wore the same dress, the same black dress. I mean, some of the girls even complained about the black dresses. But that's when they realized that the only time that you wear color is when it's your 21st birthday. It's a gown that's specifically picked out to enhance your butterfly wings, like to go with the color of it. And so they all cried together and they had wished that the walls had come down, like, you know, to hide the doors because they didn't want the other girls to remember Lynn as being so weak because she had been like the mother of all the butterflies. But everyone heard her cry that night and the next morning the gardener came, knocked on the door and escorted her out. And the next day they saw Lynn encased in glass. And the FBI pulled out a bunch of pictures and they were able to point at which one Lynn was. And she said, but that's not her name. Right before the gardener had taken her away, Lynn had given Maya a hug and said, my name is Cassidy, don't let anyone forget me. And she left. And so that's when they were like, okay, tell the people her name's Cassidy, right? And so they're like looking into who is she, where is she missing from? Like, does she have a family that they need to report back to? And it was just a shit show. And so she was taken away. Now, the other time that the walls come down in the butterfly garden is not just when the gardeners come, but when a girl is being put up in glass or when a girl is being turned into glass, I guess, or just being murdered, right? So that's when the walls come down because the gardener can't really keep track of all the girls during that time. So you're pretty much just stuck in your room and you can't hear anything but you know what's freaking going on and so she was explaining all of that now the police are like okay how did you even end up in new york like you literally cut off at your grandma's house and then somehow you were in new york and then we're assuming that you got kidnapped in new york and so she said okay so this is exactly what happened at 14 years old her grandma freaking died now she didn't want to have to put up with the whole calling 911 the cps comes they're all arguing about what to do with her does anyone know where her mom is what about her dad and then they're like hey little girl like is your mom alive you know she didn't want to deal with any of that she didn't want to go to a foster home because she saw what happened in her neighbor's foster home so she decided instead of calling the police that she would reach into the german shepherd's butthole because that was her grandma's safe because you know it was a taxidermied german shepherd so you lift the tail and then you put your hand in the butthole and it would be ten thousand dollars of cash like that's where grandma kept all of her cash so she took grandma's fat stack of 10 g's and got onto a bus to new york city with it she went and she found someone who could do a fake id and he said it's gonna cost you some money and she said that's okay i have some money and he said okay it's gonna be about a thousand dollars to get you an id that even police officers in new york city won't even be able to tell the difference so she said sounds good so they meet up at a park and she even took the picture for the id and now her new name was inara and so she said okay this is good because now it shell tolls people you know she was like 14 that i'm 18 and i can go freaking work so she's like thank you thank you thank you so much and he says okay well that's gonna be a thousand five hundred if you want to go into my car and do some stuff and she paid him the a thousand dollars and walked away and started applying to all of the restaurants in the area that's when the evening star an upscale italian restaurant was like hey you know what you can be a waitress here so she starts working there she was literally staying at women's shelters until like i said the waitresses and the hostess was like hey do you want to stay with us it's like two three hundred dollars a month literally it's just a bed (laughs) in a studio and so she started 
staying with them. And here's the thing with the evening star. The thing with the evening star, we're getting into how she was kidnapped, is that it's a really upscale Italian restaurant. And in a place like New York City, it was really just a venue spot. It wasn't necessarily like a hyped place. People weren't coming in off the streets for like a, hey, let's just pop in for lunch. It was kind of expensive. So you would typically go for reservations on special occasions. It's also not like a casual dining spot, but also it was a venue spot. Most people used it for events. So people would book it out. Like they would literally, and the thing with the boss is that he was a good marketer. So he would tell you, hey, you've got a party. We can transform our entire staff to fit the theme. If you are having a civil war theme, which by the way, was Maya's least favorite, they would dress up as civil war soldiers and they would serve you your fucking food. Or it'd be like the 1920s. They would all wear pinup dresses and the costumes were all paid for by the people hosting the party because it was part of the venue fee. So they would all show up in these flapper dresses, serve the food, and everything was perfectly themed, which people got a kick out of. And so when she was about 16 years old, this was about two and a half years into working at the Evening Star and living with the other girls, they said, hey, this is gonna be an event. Let us know if you wanna be a waitress there because the boss always gave you a choice. If you don't wanna dress up like the Civil War or the 1920s, he does not force it on you. So they said, this is the pay for the night and it's for a charity called Madam Butterfly. And so she was like, okay, like that's so much better than fucking Civil War. So all of the girls are like, okay, like they gave us these like really weird, obnoxious butterfly wings that we put on and they go to the venue. There's a bunch of people there. Um, they start serving the food and they said that halfway in, the waiters and waitresses did not know how to feel like they were going to the back and they were cursing but also laughing because the intensity of serving food while everyone had on these giant ass wings like Victoria's Secret Angels was the most obnoxious fucking thing that they had ever done in their life so they're all just like I don't know if I can wait till the end of the night to start taking shots so they're all back there and Hope one of the girls who works there she comes back and she's like did you see the guy doing the fundraiser He's fucking hot. He's like a George Clooney. And so they're like, what's wrong with you, Hope? And Hope was known for like sleeping with the, you know, people. And so they were like, Hope, get out of here. And he's so old. Like he's literally like 60 or something. Why don't you go for the sun? The sun's here. And she's like, no, the sun's weird. What do you mean? There's something about him. He just, he looks at everyone. Like he looks really creepy. Like he looks evil. I mean, it's dumb, but he just, no, the dad's hot. Okay. The dad, he's got a dad bod. He's old. He's got that salt and pepper going for him. He's cute. He's fuckable. And so they're all like, oh my God, hope. And that was just kind of how hope is. Like that's how she spends the night. That's how she gets through the workday by making kind of like these types of comments, right? So they all thought it was just hope. And so they go out and they keep serving food. And that's when Maya, she serves food to the guy who is hosting the party and yeah George Clooney and he stops her and he says that's a beautiful tattoo and she looks down and she actually had a butterfly a tiny butterfly tattooed on her ankle and she wasn't the only one because all of the other girls they were super drunk one day at the apartment and they were like let's fucking get tattoos and they all got tattoos on their ankle but because of the way that her dress was shaped like it would show every time she took a step so she was like oh yeah and he's he asked her do you like butterflies and she's, she didn't want to be rude because it's a fucking butterfly event. You know, what is she going to say? Actually, no, I was wasted when I got this. So she said, yeah, I think they're beautiful. And he said, yes, but like most beautiful creatures, very short-lived. But your tattoo's beautiful. And she said, 
thank you. <laughs> and she served him his food and walked away and she took a mental note. She was like, tell Hope old man is creepy. And so she keeps serving the food and she's like, okay, this is too much. It's near the end. They're like giving a little speech. Everyone's going around clinking their glasses. And so she's like, okay, I gotta go change my tampon. She goes into the back room, the staff room. And that's when she hears someone open the door. She looks back and it's one of the sons. So she's like, oh, this is a staff only area. Like, do you need something? And he says, my dad wasn't wrong about you. And he starts approaching f closer and she's like, I'm sorry, but you're not allowed to be here. This is a staff only area. And he says, let me see your tattoo. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to be here. This is a staff area. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna try to kick me out the whole spiel. What's your name? And so she said, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to be here. And that's when, thankfully, they call him Keg, but he's the bus boy, okay? The bus boy is like, uh, sir, I think you should be here. And he's this buff dude. He's all tatted up. There's a rule that none of the other employees are supposed to have tattoos, but the bus boy, he was allowed to have all of his tattoos. And honestly, Maya thinks that the boss was even a little bit scared of the bus boy. So Keg, he's always looking out for the girls. He comes in and he's like, you need to fucking get out of here, right? And the son looked pissed off. And she immediately knew like, this is exactly what Hope was saying. Like something about his eyes. Like there's something weird. Like he's genuinely... Like his face, he's very handsome, young, charismatic, nicely dressed, but his eyes are so cruel. Like that was the word, just cruel. And so he gets kicked out and Keg, the busboy, ends up walking the girls back to the apartment after the night is over because all of them were kind of like shaken up. They were like, this is a weird event. And they all get home, they all throw their little butterfly wings into the corner and they lay down and they try to have a good night. And they told the boss about how creepy the weird, you know, Madam Butterfly person is and the the boss said well thank god like they went back to maryland that's where they're from they were just here for the fundraising event and so she was like okay cool so three weeks pass she's working she's doing this yada 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 and she went with one of her roommates to go to a public library and her roommate is also a student in new york city and so she ran into her friends coincidentally so maya was like it's okay like hang out with your friends like I'll, i'm gonna go back home and as she's walking she feels a bonk on her head and then she wakes up in the fucking butterfly garden and the dude was the gardener which dude? The son? The old guy. What about the son? He was involved in the kidnapping. So she was kidnapped three weeks after the Madam Butterfly event. And he was the customer client host of the Madam Butterfly charity function. Wow. Now back to the garden. This is where things get a little bit weird. The FBI gave her some hot dogs to eat while they're talking to her. And the FBI realized that she's obsessed with this hot dog which is weird because when you have a lot of victims that were in captivity usually they lived off of things like hot dogs you know their captors were not the type to be like let me take you out to a fancy five-star restaurant michelin only so she was looking like she was downing this hot dog and they said oh like did you not eat hot dogs in your two years there and she said no lorraine only cooks us healthy food so they're like who the fork is lorraine and so she said okay this is almost like an urban legend okay inside of the garden the butterflies talk about this and it's kind of like this weird unspoken thing so lorraine was one of the first couple of girls to be ever be kidnapped by the gardener and she thought that she could be real slick with it she ended up falling in love with the gardener and just like stockholm syndromes to the max that's what they said and she convinced the gardener that when she turned 21 years 
years old to not kill her, but to let her work for him. So he sent her to cooking school. He sent her to get a nursing degree. She never, not once, told anyone about the garden. She didn't tell any police. She didn't try to run away. Not even once. She would come back to the garden every single night. And once she had graduated, she lived there as their like in-house nurse slash cook. And Lorraine was a really big bitch because she was actually jealous of the butterflies. And it was sick. It was sick and twisted. So the the day that she turned 21, he gave her a new dress, took away her black dress, a dress that you could no longer see her wings. She was never called a butterfly anymore. And he pretty much just ignored her, never visited her for other things ever, just only talked to her about food and stuff that mattered to the garden. And she would almost, you could see Lorraine walking through the hallways being jealous of the dead girls in glass because she loved the gardener and the gardener loves his butterflies and she's not a butterfly. Now she's in her 50s and she's just super fucking salty. So they're like, the gardener has been kidnapping girls for 30 fucking years? Yeah. And, you know, Maya said, the gardener only kills you for three reasons, unless you're Lorraine. The first is that you turn 21 years old and butterflies are short-lived, so he wants to case you in your prime beauty. Number two is if you get sick, injured, or pregnant. So Lorraine does administer shots, but I mean, contraceptive, there's always like a case that you might get pregnant. And so if you ever get pregnant, he just kills you. And then the third is if you lose your mind, like if you can't do it anymore, you have mental breakdowns or you try to try to do a coup. We're like, let's knock down the gardener and run out, right? He's going to kill you. And so they said, okay, well, tell us about the son. Because you mentioned that the son, what was his name? Avery. We have an Avery on file. And she's like, yeah, Avery. You told us that he was at the restaurant and he kidnapped you. Did he ever come to the garden? That's when she said, yeah, Avery likes to go. Avery has his own room in the garden. And he's a little bit different from the gardener. He likes to kill girls for fun sometimes. So a lot of the times he will accidentally kill a girl or he'll do it on purpose. It doesn't really matter. And then he'll be banned from the garden for a little while. But then the gardener always lets Avery back in for some reason. And so he also assaults all the girls. And her first time being assaulted by him, she was dragged into his room and there was already a dead butterfly there. So he had killed her and then he assaulted her and she ha- she was bruised up and everything and that's when the gardener comes in and this is where it gets really weird this is where i have so many pickles with the book because then you start seeing like avery is disgusting and what you would normally think of a kidnapper and then like the gardener saves her from his own son when he's the one that put her in the position anyway and so the gardener would come in and scoop her up from avery's room and would continue to apologize as he helps like wash her and put band-aids on her bruises and he would even let her sleep in his room which she didn't even know that he had a room at the time inside of the garden and so he would let her sleep in that room and he would just whisper i'm sorry while like brushing her hair all the time it was just a lot and that's when she tells the fbi that the gardener doesn't want like he doesn't necessarily want to kill the girls he just doesn't want the beauty to die in a butterfly so he feels like he genuinely gets sad when he kills the girls is what she says, which again, I have uh, so many pickles to pick about that one, but continuing on. So the FBI is like, okay, so what happens to someone like Giselle, which was the dead butterfly that she was assaulted in front of? They're like, what happens? Like, does she, does she go into glass because she's all bruised up and stuff? And she said, no, if you die in a way where you are now unpresentable as a butterfly, you don't get in glass. And she said, I mean, we'll find out later what happens, but they just don't come out in glass. So the FBI is like, okay, so we have all the girls in glass, 
are there other places we need to be looking for dead girls? How many could there be? So then the FBI asked her, okay, tell us more about your day-to-day inside the garden. And she said it was freaking boring. So the more that you're obedient to the gardener, the more that he gives you things. And these are personal items. So there's a library inside of the garden. And on the door of the library, there's a piece of paper that you can write with a pencil of books that you want to request to be entered into the garden. And they will just magically appear in the garden library. And you can read those books. And then sometimes if you really like a book, the gardener will gift it to you. And if he gifts you a book, then you get to keep it in your room. Otherwise, it has to go back in the library because it's a shared book with all the girls. And as long as you follow all the rules and the gardener likes you, he starts giving you things that you like. So for example, Bliss was obsessed with clay. Like she loved pottery. So there was even like this big, you know, what are the, what, are the, what do you call those in the kitchen that Lorraine would supervise her with because she had the, like the big pottery oven that she was allowed to use and she was given clay. And Lynn was obsessed with origami. So they gave her lots of origami like the most premium origami papers and i know in 50 shades of what the fork is this bitch and maya was obsessed with reading books so he would just gift her more and more classical books like edgar Allan poe again what the fork is this when i was 16 i was reading twilight bits so then he would gift people these things and everything was fun up until maybe like six months ago a girl by the name of avita died and they said okay like this is kind of like a segue into the question of like are there other girls like just who didn't die because they turned 21 and aren't in glass and so with the Vita it was a little bit different so they were so fucking bored that they decided to play hide and seek one day inside of the giant garden and a girl by the name of Danielle she would be it so she went to the corner and she started counting to a hundred now they were so bored to the fact that even the gardener would come out and watch them play hide and seek because he felt like that was them showing him that they liked it here that they genuinely enjoyed their new home and so he would watch and the girls would be so bored that they would even continue playing even though they knew that this was like sick and nasty. And so Danielle would go closest to the gardener, the person who's it would go near the gardener to count. And Maya doesn't know if the gardener knows this, but they did that because nobody wants to fucking hide around the gardener. So literally the person that's it goes and counts there because nobody's trying to hide around there. And she doesn't know if the gardener knows that or if that just passed him. And so they would all go hide. Now Avida, who was around 17 at the time, but she had the mental maturity of a six year old. So she was, Um, she had a mental illness and she was there. Now, a lot of people worried about her when she first entered the garden because they felt like the gardener was gonna like kill her, but he ended up liking her innocence, I guess. But he wouldn't really visit her. She would just be kind of kept around. Like she was just there being held captive. I mean, she wasn't as, I guess it wasn't as bad as the other girls because they were getting visited by the gardener. But with Evita, it was different because she genuinely was happy there compared to the other girls because it seemed like she didn't really get the full scope of what was going on. She didn't know that she was going to die soon. She didn't know that we're being held captive here. Our families are waiting outside and we're going to die here. She kind of felt like this was like a fun place once in a while to be. And anytime she would get sad, she would cry about it and then she would be over it whereas the rest of the girls like they just had this like they knew what was going on and so the gardener really liked her and everybody really loved Avita. so danielle she starts counting so she counts to 100 and she said i'm coming but then she heard Avita was still like trying to hide so she would just keep counting this is something that all the girls did so they would count until there was it was quiet so they knew that Avita hid and Avita this time she hates heights but she said i want to climb the trees with maya because maya was obsessed with climbing the trees and so she said i'm gonna climb the tree so she gets up onto the top of the tree with Maya and Maya's like it's okay right like just 
hold the tree tight and she says I don't like it anymore I want to get down and so Maya's like okay okay let me help you down first right and she starts coming down when all of a sudden everyone screams and they see Evita falling from the tree and at first you hear massive screaming and then you hear like a crack and then no more screaming and you see her fall face first into the pond So all the girls start freaking out. They start running to her. And it seemed like she had, because it's a small space and all the trees are kind of like right next to each other. It seemed like somehow she got really unlucky and she had snapped her neck while she was falling down. And now she had a snapped neck. And she went into the water to get Evita and she was kind of carrying her and the gardener came and she was obviously dead. And all of the girls are about to start crying when they see that the gardener is literally sobbing his eyes out. And it was just like this sick, twisted moment of like, why are you crying? Yeah. And like, they just watched him cry. And so the FBI comes in because, by the way, this is like the whole FBI interrogation, right? So another officer comes in and they are giving updates about the case because it's a fresh case. And then the officers will then question Maya and be like, look at the new evidence we got. And so one of them comes in and says, the son Avery is dead. 13 of the girls are expected to survive. And also Patrice, the senator's daughter, she refuses to see the senator. The senator has arrived at the hospital, refuses to see her own mother unless she talks to Maya first. And so the FBI are like, what? And so they're like, okay, first of all, like, the son is dead. And they look at her because they're trying to get her reaction. Like this Maya girl. They, they don't know what's going on with her. They don't know if she's somehow involved in this. They don't know if she's just as much as a victim as the other girls. They don't know why she's the ringleader of all of this to the point where the girls don't even want to talk to their family. Like that seems a little bit weird. Yeah. And so they ask her, like they're trying to get her facial emotions of if she's sad that her alleged tormentor is now dead. And they said that the word to describe her was that she looked haunted. And so they're looking at her and she just looked kind of haunted. And she said, what about, and they said, what about the younger son? Does the younger son know about the garden, Maya? So we find out that Desmond is the younger son and there's another son to this. And the way that we find out about this is the way that she finds out. So we're back in the garden. So it's like back and forth into the garden. It's like memories. So we're back into the garden and Maya has this thing for climbing fucking trees, okay? She's a little Tarzan bitch. And so she loved climbing the trees in her free time because A, she was so freaking bored and B, sometimes she would climb up there and then she'd be like, what would happen if I just jumped because she was literally miserable? And C, she would sometimes put her hand up against the glass of the greenhouse and think like, you know, what if this glass wasn't here? She would just imagine things. When she looked outside from the top of that tree, something that she couldn't see when she was on the ground level was this like massive mansion in the distance. Now this mansion, you could tell it was massive because of how far it was, but like the size of it from how far it was. And then there was like a bunch of other gardens and it's just really just all gardens everywhere. It just looked like trees and flowers and rose bushes everywhere. And she would see the gardener every day at around 6 to 7 p.m walk around the garden neighboring the house that was not this little greenhouse with a frail old woman and she could kind of tell by the way that the woman was moving that the woman was kind of in charge like the gardener would stop every time that the woman wanted to stop and she kind of concluded that this was his wife and she was sick it seemed like she was really sick so she would walk really slow he would kind of dote on her make sure she's like okay and then sometimes avery would join them on walks and he would look miserable and then sometimes a different boy would join them 
and he was really young and she knew that the parents loved him a little bit more than Avery because the mom would stop and she would put his hair behind his ear and she would take care of the mom as she walks whereas Avery didn't do that and she always wondered I wonder if all of them know about this fucking garden and that's when one day she was up there watching them and she's squinting and she sees that the gardener was stopped looking straight at the garden ah he saw her but he didn't tell her he saw her up until a few weeks later we go back to the garden and she says that the gardener likes to bring in a couple girls a year so not a lot but like sometimes three girls a year three new girls and he would never bring in multiple girls at once he would usually only bring in one girl he would wait for her to fully adjust have her full set of wings have a name get to know the other girls before he brought in another girl because the way that the gardener sees it is literally he's a gardener so he doesn't want the butterflies to get stressed and die so like he needs to acclimate like the temperature the mood the environment environment of his garden so that butterflies don't die like it's so sick and twisted and so every time a new girl came in all the other butterflies would get stressed because they think about their capture they think about their kidnapping they think about their family because another girl is like I'm an, I miss my mom you know and they start thinking about their mom and so he would only bring in a couple girls a year and now that Lynn has died Maya for some reason felt it upon her to take care of the other girls because all the other girls just didn't like they said don't want to talk to the new girl and new girl technically no one's in charge of making her feel comfortable like she just gets drugged and then she gets tattooed and then just set into the garden so Maya's like fuck this like that's so messed up and so she was talking to the first new girl that came after Lynn died and her name was Johanna well her new name in the garden was Johanna and she was really well acclimated and the way that Maya had introduced her to the garden was like hey um you fucking survive or you die like that's it and that's not how Lynn had introduced her to the garden like she was lot nicer about it right and Johanna she seemed well adjusted so Maya was like you know what what I'm doing is good like girls need to know straight up what's in it for them like you fucking eat your food you you have to live through this and then you know when you turn 21 you're dead anyway so do you want to die now or do you want to die when you're 21 it's up to you really and so she would kind of do it like that and Johanna she was acclimating she got her full set of wings her name was Johanna she was hanging out with other butterflies until one day they saw her face down in the pond and she had drowned her Herself. And so Maya was like, oh my God, like she was feeling so much guilt. She was like, I wonder if that was my fault. And so the next girl that came in, she started taking really good care of her. She was like, it's going to be okay. Like I'm here with you, like trying to be more like Lynn. And she noticed that during the tattoo process, this girl was not healing like everyone else did. She was like blistering. Parts of the tattoo were getting nasty infections. It just, the wings like what happens when the butterfly wings are flawed it's not even about is she gonna die from an infection because most likely she won't but what does the gardener do when the wings are flawed and so she starts taking care of the girl rubbing ointment on her trying to be like please wings don't get infected you know and that's when the gardener comes in and he sits down and he's like rubbing ointment on the girl with her and the girl's like knocked out she's drugged up by the way and they start getting into a conversation and the gardener says how long have you been watching my family since I got my wings? I, I usually went up there every day and I saw that there was a house and I saw there were other gardens and you would walk with someone. And he said, well, what do you think? I think your wife is sick. I think she's old. I think you love her, maybe. I don't think she knows about the garden. And I think she's scared of Avery. She doesn't really like him, maybe. And I think that your other son has no idea about the garden. And he looks tense. 
And so she says, I'm not going to tell anyone, by the way. I don't think it really bothers us if you have a family or not. I don't really think it matters to us. And he looked a little bit relieved. And he says that his wife's name is Eleanor and she has a heart condition. And she stays home. They have their nightly walks in the garden. She loves gardens. And this is kind of like his safe place. She has no idea about the butterflies. Desmond, his younger son, has no idea about the butterflies. He is definitely different from Avery. He's really good at piano. He gets good grades. Mom loves him, you know kind of gives the whole spiel about his family and that's when he's like come on let's go on a walk so she's like okay cool we're going to my room and i'm gonna get assaulted right but that's not where they go they actually end up going to a cave that she had recently started going with all of the girls so right under the man-made waterfall is like this tiny little cave and there is a security camera in there and there's also mics in there but the girls feel like that the mics are hard to pick up your words if you whisper in each other's ears because the sound of the water so they go in there and they just talk to each other in there and they don't even talk about like having a riot or like a coup or like killing the gardener they literally just talk about like random shit and it just makes them feel like a semblance of regularness and normalcy and so he takes her into the cave and he asks her are you planning a coup or something in here with the other girls and she said no i am not like i literally just bring the other girls in here and we just talk in here because it's a little bit private in here and so <laughs> Again, lots of nasty stuff. He starts talking about how you're not like the other girls. Nasty shit. And then he asks her, is there anything you want? Because like she never asks for anything. Like sometimes she'll write on the little book wall, but she never really asks for anything. Like Bliss asked for her pottery set. She asked for an oven. Like she asked for all of these things. All the other girls, they asked for like a TV, a DVD player, a CD player, all of these things. And she never asked for anything other than sometimes books. And so he asked, is there anything you want for me to thank you for, you know, keeping my secret? And she said, can you turn the security camera off in here? Just so we can have a little bit of privacy sometimes. And so he said, okay. And they, yeah, anyways, continuing on. They do it? Yeah. Couple nights pass. Now Maya's up on the top of the cave and she is just laying there looking up at the stars and Bliss comes to her and Bliss is falling apart. Literally all of the girls at this point were falling apart. Like they just were not having it. The two newest girls, they're dead. Like how does that, like that's just really depressing. It had been months, Lynn is gone. Lynn was like their mother. Maya is trying to be a mom, but she never even had a mom. So she didn't know how to be a mom. And Bliss is like, how do you do it? Like, how are you kind of happy or like kind of okay here? And Maya was like, well, were you happy before? you came to the garden and bliss is like yeah i was really happy well that's why because i literally didn't i wasn't really happy and she was like tell me about something then and she's like we're not allowed to talk about our family we're not allowed to talk about anything personal and she's like well tell me about something not personal then and maya divulged in a story about how one time the neighbor were growing pot plants up on the roof of their apartment building and the cops were finding out about it so we decided to burn all of the pot plants to get rid of the evidence but it had gone down into the central like ac event and literally the whole building all of the kids all of the grandparents all of the girls they were like high for two weeks straight like it was the most <laughs> insane shit that she had ever experienced and bliss is like what because most of the girls were kidnapped when they were 16 and they had a life of a lifespan about five years and then at 21 they would be killed 
So, like, think about it. When you're 16, you were usually living with your parents. Most of the girls were kidnapped when they were at the mall with their friends. And Maya did not live, like, your conventional teenage life. And so Bliss is like, what the heck? And then all of a sudden, they see a flashlight shine, which is weird because Avery and the gardener, they know their way around the garden even at night. Like, if they're leaving to go back to the house, they know how to get out without using a flashlight. So she's like, shh. And they see Desmond. Now, Bliss has no idea who this dude is. And she's like, that's the fucking young son. What the fork, right? And so she freaks out and she's like, okay, stay here. So he starts kind of like looking around. And she runs into Danielle's room because that's where the gardener was at the time. And he gets a little bit upset. And he's like, why are you interrupting me? Blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, I think your young son is here. There's an intruder. And so he goes out and he starts talking to Desmond. And he's like, Desmond, what are you doing? You know you're not allowed in my garden. And he's like, come, come. Let's go into my office. So he pulls him into his office office and she's just standing there in the middle of the hallway like what the fork is going on right all of the walls come down because it seems like he always keeps something in his pocket to like you know control the walls so all of the girls are locked in their room except for Maya and Bliss who's at the top of the cave like what the fork's going on and so she's like so she's standing there when all of a sudden the gardener comes back out and is like I want you to meet my son so he brings her in and he says Maya please sit so she sits down and he says listen I didn't want to tell your mom this because you know how your mom gets she loves to help people we already have all these charities that she runs and she kills herself over them and these girls they pick up some girls from the streets that have no life they're homeless and I help try to teach them. I have a library here that they use. And, you know, they stay and live with us for a while, me and Avery. It's kind of like a little side project to rehabilitate these girls. Most of their parents are, you know, crackheads. Like, he's just saying some fucking wild <laughs> shit when Maya goddamn knows that most of these people came from loving families. I mean, there's literally a senator's daughter up in this bits. And Desmond is like, is that true? And she's like, yes. I I was about to resort to hooking and then I came here like she's just going along with it because she's scared and so he's like yeah I mean I yeah mom would be really stressed out if she had to take care of all the girls and she's like are you a fucking idiot like she's thinking in her head you look like you're in college could you be that fucking dumb that you believe what your dad is selling you right now and the FBI agents are like do you really think that he bought it And that's when the FBI is like, okay, probably he did. Because what they realize with people with, you know, family members who are massive criminals is that you try really hard to believe what you want to believe. And that's why a lot of the times family members don't turn in family members because they have a little bit of like a, oh, that's a weird coincidence. But there's no way that they believe that their family member is a serial killer. So because the dad was already helping with so many charities, he just wanted to believe it. And thus he did. So Desmond believes it. He goes home for the night and he says, you know, Avery and he has a code. And one day Desmond can get a code into the garden by himself. But for the time being, he would have to come in while he was under supervision of the gardener to meet the girls and to help with the charitable work that they were doing in their own backyard and so he leaves for the night and the gardener wants Maya to stay in his room for the night so you can see where that goes and so then Desmond would keep coming and he would keep visiting with the gardener and he would come in with his little books and he would be like this is really cool and the girls are like you're really 
down. They had to call the police. But they can't say anything because the gardener is always watching them. And the gardener even gave them new dresses that don't look like such a cult. And they would cover all of the butterflies. All of the halls were always down so that none of the butterflies and glass were showing for weeks because Desmond could come by any time. And all of them were just acting like, yes. I am from the streets. And they were told if you don't tell them that, then you're gonna die. And so then Desmond would be like, well, tell me about your past, like what happened? And they'd be like, it is too painful to talk about. But your father has saved us all. Like real cult shit. And so she's just like, how is he that fucking dumb? And so one day she's hanging out by herself in the little garden and he approaches her and he says, can I ask you something? You seem really blunt. Like all the other girls, they don't really talk to me, but you seem like you tell it like it is. She's like, okay. How much of what my dad is telling me is complete shit? (laughs) And she says, I don't think you should be asking me that. I think you should be asking your dad. And he's like, did he really rescue you like he said? Or what happened? And she says, I don't think you should be asking me. I think you should be asking your dad. But I mean, at this point, she tells him that. And by the way that he's acting, she knows that he knows. And she knows that he's not going to call the cops. Like the the one quote in the book that's always repeated is, you are your father's son, right? Like he's not going to call the cops on his dad. And the way that he interacts with his dad, he's like literally begging for acceptance from his dad. Like for for his dad to be proud of him. Like you're not going to call the cops on your dad. And he knew that. She knew that. So what was the point in acting like it'd be any different? So she was just like, okay, whatever. And so then she starts telling more stories of the garden to the FBI. And she said that there was this one situation where a, tw- a twins came in. So twins were kidnapped. They came into the butterfly garden at the same time, which was really rare. And the gardener had tattooed both of them with the same exact wings, which again was weird, except for the problem that one of the twins was like deathly allergic to fucking everything. Like she would never go out into the garden. She was allergic to like the first 30 different soaps that the gardener had brought into their room. Like she was allergic to everything. Her food allergy list was out of this world. Like when other girls were crying, they'd be like, hey, hey, can you tell them what you're allergic to? Because it would calm girls down because of how long and boring and mundane the list of food allergies was. The other twin, she was kind of outgoing. Like she loved climbing trees too like with Maya and she loved being in the garden but they shared the same room so they would constantly get into fights because she would bring in like mud and dust and then the other twin would have massive allergies and then one day the gardener likes to sometimes have like this really creepy dinner type setting where he would tell Lorraine and the rest of the girls tonight we're eating dinner all together and so all of the girls would take extra care in their appearance because they don't want to die and he would come and sit with them and eat dinner with all of them at once. So one day during that dinner time, the allergic twin didn't want to come to the dinner and everyone forced her to. So they dragged her there. She wasn't ready. She didn't get ready the rest of the day like the rest of the girls. And she showed up and she was being really salty. She was like, I'm allergic to this, 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 and this, and this. And everyone was really nervous. And sure enough, the next day, both of the twins were in a glass case together. So then, Desmond gets his own code, and he starts visiting the 
in butterfly place like everybody else and all of the girls rooms are now being shown but the butterflies and glasses are still being hidden because he just i guess the gardener didn't want to tell desmond about that yet so everyone's like yes we have been saved and desmond is just living in his fake fucking world where he genuinely believes it. he's like yes we are good people and so avery would come but because desmond is there avery would have a lot of tension because he couldn't do what he wanted to do with the girls because i mean desmond is like this proper dude and he wants to like fight for desmond's but honestly what a weird family right and Desmond was slowly falling for Maya like he genuinely liked Maya like he wanted to play the violin for her like he would bring his violin and like play that shit for her and he thought that they were just like going on dates in the garden together and he would like hold her hand he would like touch her hair he would just it genuinely felt like flirting it was just so strange now one day she goes into the kitchen to grab an orange and he's hiding in the kitchen and he's under like the kitchen counter talking to her when the dad comes in gardner comes in and gardner does not know that his son is there and thinks it's just maya in the kitchen so they start having a conversation and she asks him like why do you preserve us in glass and he did it on purpose and he tells her that when he was young, that his dad was um, a very, very great businessman. But overall, he had this very intriguing hobby where he collected butterflies. So we'd go out into the fields and they would look for butterflies and they would catch butterflies. But a lot of the times you can't find perfect butterflies like that. You would have to buy them off of people like butterfly dealers. And so he would buy them. And while they were still alive, because that's how you get the best wings, he would pin them onto these velvet suede, you know, backgrounds and he would encase them in glass and he would hang them up now there was a small electrical fire inside of our house and all of his butterflies were ruined his lifetime of collecting butterflies were ruined because of an electrical fire and soon after that he died and a lot of people in my family believe that he went to go be with his butterflies you know he loved those butterflies. Mm-hmm. So at his funeral, uh, my mom was giving like this speech and I just couldn't do it. I missed my dad so much. So I went out and there was this massive um, like cemetery, but it was a beautiful grave. And there was this young little girl. And for some reason, she was dressed up like she had this butterfly wing, you know, like the cheap ones you can buy. And she was just running around the grave. And so I followed her. And that was his first victim that he kidnapped. And at first, he kept her in the basement, but he felt like it was inappropriate to keep a butterfly chained up in the basement. So he went on to build this atrium so that he could let his butterfly live happily. So he tells her all of this, and then he assaults her, and the son hears everything. So then um, he leaves, and the son is crying. And so she's like, anyways, um, you deal with your own shit on your own time. I don't have time or the emotional capacity to be like, it's okay, it's okay, come here, let me give you some emotional support because your dad kidnapped us. Hee hee ha ha ha. And so she's like, you got it, dude. And she leaves and he doesn't come back for the next couple of weeks. Now he ends up coming back and he is acting like none of this exists. He is still like trying to trick himself, mental cartwheel his shit into believing, you know what, y'all are still rescue little hoes from the streets, you know? And so he continues on. He doesn't even ask questions about like, what do you mean when you ask my dad about the glass thing? What do you mean in case you in glass? He was just like, whatever, how are you doing? I had my exams in college, it's been rough. And so she's just like, you 
fucking idiot and she said that she hated him just as much as she hated the gardener and avery just in a different way so we're gonna get into a little bit of the girls that were there at the time so we've got you know the fbi starts giving them some names and she starts kind of telling them about them and one of the girls she was he's eating it he is not making a treat right now he dead ass is eating a fucking straight ass rice crispy right now <laughs> in front of my face bitch so some of the girls like you have pia who is curious about everything like that's her thing like she likes to read encyclopedias she likes to learn how everything works you've got another girl who's obsessed with like cross stitching and she was even allowed privileges to wear a tiny little scissors around her neck as a necklace because he didn't want any of the other girls to have it but she needed it to cut the thread so she would have these tiny little scissors and if she wasn't wearing it they would get confiscated from whoever had them or if she left them in her room so she just always wore it around her neck and then you had you know bliss who liked clay you had some girls who loved dancing so they would constantly listen to their mp3 players you had some girls who were painters so they had canvases and you know sketchbooks and everyone had their thing except for a girl by the name of let's call her Susie. Now, Susie was weird. She didn't really have something. Like, she wasn't really into the other girls. She didn't really try to hang out with anyone. She wasn't necessarily mean, but she was just, um, strange. Like, she would walk around and she would point out all the ways that you could kill yourself inside of this garden. But when someone would be like, okay, then you do it. And then she'd be like, no way. So she was just kind of weirdly fascinated with death and everything about death she liked. And it was almost creepy because the only other person who liked the glass girls other than the gardener and Avery was Servat. She liked going up and, well, her name is Servat in the book. We're going to call her Servat. So Servat, she would go up and just stare at the girls for hours on end and talk about how resin and formalehyde or whatever the, you know, thing is used is preserves the body. Like she was, she was a little weird. And so everyone kind of stayed away from her because that's just weird. Like, you do know you're going to be there one day soon, right? But she just maybe didn't care or maybe didn't understand. So she was just obsessed with death. Now, Simone, one of the girls, she ends up falling pregnant. That was a really hard time because they knew what was going to happen to her. So they had seen her get taken away and probably encased in glass. Now the walls didn't have gone up so they still didn't really see any of the girls in glass at this point. So since Desmond got there, the walls of the dead girls had been covered. Uh -huh. And finally, another thing happens. They start dating. Maya and Desmond start full on dating. They even do it. They do it. And once they do it, the gardener stops doing it with Maya. So they do it. And it was like this really strange relationship. Maya even said like it was weird because it was different, but it was the same as the gardener. Like it was different in the sense that he thought that this was a willing thing, but it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. So it was just like this sick, twisted, what the fork, dude? Like I'm only doing this because I don't want to die, but then you think it's because I really like you. And it's just so confusing. But she did also think maybe something good could come from this because Desmond had already asked his dad to cut the cameras in Maya's room because he didn't want, you know, he felt weird that his dad could possibly see, you know, them doing it. And he would constantly come over and he was really making the place a much more fun place. He would bring his stereo, play massive, like loud music in the garden and all the girls would hang out. He was kind of under Maya's thumb. Now, Avery didn't like this because Avery always hated Maya because he felt like Maya was like the fucking queen of the little bitch garden, right? And anytime he hurt Maya, he would get in trouble by his dad. And now his younger brother gets to fucking have Maya. Like, that's not cool. Like, women are objects and I should be able to have her. Yeah, he's one of those. 
So he was like, that's not cool. And so he gets so upset by this that he brutally assaults one of the other girls by the name of Zara. She had multiple broken bones. I believe her hip was fractured from this. And the nurse, Nurse Lorraine, I mean, she went to nursing school, but she's not a fucking doctor, doctor. There's only so much she could do, even with the amount of money that the gardener had and so they kind of knew that things were not looking good for Zara her hip got infected she had broken bones that weren't healing and they were getting infected and so Desmond had brought in this wheelbarrow and the girls knew that this was the last day but they had asked Desmond to bring in a wheelbarrow they put her in the wheelbarrow and they kind of like wheelbarrowed her around and they were having a good time with her and all of the girls gathered in her room that day and she asked them in her memory to like not be sad but to have like a big play of some sorts from her favorite book like just to recreate the play or like read the book in her memory don't be sad like don't let the girls get depressed right and so the gardener takes her away and he says desmond would you join me this time and this is the first time that desmond finds out about what happens to the girls and what happens when they turn 21 but now it's an issue because he's dating one of the girls that is going to turn 21 one day and so he just storms out of the room that the gardener likes to kill his girls in and he goes straight up to her and he's like did you know about this and she's like are you kidding me like you're dumb and so he starts getting so upset and he leaves the garden and he doesn't come back again for weeks and he's like I literally hate that dude and so finally the you know the the environment was just nasty in the garden because all the girls were getting so sad like this was just like the ultimate sadness and they decided you know what let's finally just have that freaking play because Zara said don't get sad and the gardener had heard about this and so he decided to buy all these costumes for the girls to really like enact it out and he felt like if they were putting on a show for him it must mean that they're happy to be here right and he had invited Desmond and Avery to be the audience with him and Desmond ends up showing up and he's just watching and they're doing their play when all of a sudden Avery screams and he says dad you'll never guess I brought another one in today and he drops the girl on the ground and she's unconscious she's beaten she's bruised she's bloody and the girls look at her and she's freaking 12 okay like this is the moment where everyone's like oh my god so she's 12 and everyone's shocked because all the other girls were kidnapped at 16 12 is like really young Mm -hmm. so they're like what and the dad gets mad and the girls take away the girl into one of the rooms and they're like taking care of her she wakes up and she's in so much pain and they tell her it's gonna be okay like we're not gonna let anyone touch you we're not gonna let anyone hurt you like what's your name what's your name and so that's when you know they heard lots of fighting outside all the girls are taking care of the 12 year old she said her name is like lily or something and they promise her nothing's gonna happen to her the gardener comes in and she's like you're not giving her wings you're not touching her like i would literally we're all gonna like die and kill ourselves if you even try and so he's like okay like you got it and Desmond comes in and he's like can I talk to you Maya and so she goes and talks to him and he says I think I'm gonna call the cops and so she's like okay well her name is Lily she's recently this is where she lives like she's recently been kidnapped you know just are you gonna tell them everything and he just kind of walked away and that's when we're back in the interrogation room and they end up escorting her to the hospital to talk to all the girls so they talk to all the girls for about an hour and the senator comes up to Inara or Maya and she's like really upset like with the fork like why are you with the FBI like why won't my daughter talk to me and who are you are you Maya why does she want to talk to a Maya before she wants to talk to 
her mom. And she tells the senator, sometimes, like, you're just not ready to be in the real world. Like, sometimes, like, we're still Maya. Like, we're still in the garden. Like, we don't know what the fuck going on right now okay so just like give her some time because she's not ready to be your daughter yet because she doesn't even know what's going on right now so she goes into the room all of the girls insisted on staying in the same room so it was like this tiny little hospital room and they're all sitting there waiting for her and she gets in there and she starts talking to all of them and she comes out she talks to all the parents and lets them know like listen it's not because we don't fucking love you it's because they're just not ready you just need to give them some space right now and they escort her into a room where they see the gardener hooked up to a bunch of machines and they said that his name is jeffrey mcintosh and it seems like he will make it to stand trial so you need to tell us the full story because he needs to be put behind bars and so she's like okay they said what happened at the garden she said that he ran away all the doors came down and it seemed like the police had gone by and then the doors came up and we all walked outside to the garden and we saw Avery. He had been punished by his dad who had hit him with a cane multiple times, which is a weird, weird dynamic. And then they came out and they saw like a pack of chewing gum that had been discarded on the ground and the cops had come by. But I guess the gardener had talked them out of it, that it was nothing. Uh-huh. And they had left. And that's when the gardener was yelling at Desmond for calling the police. And he hit Desmond 10 times with a cane. And Avery got really upset. At first, Avery was really happy watching his dad hit his younger brother. But then when he said, just 10? I got hit 10 times for hitting one of the butterflies. And you're going to hit him 10 times for almost ending all of us? And the dad said, stay out of it, Avery. It's none of your business right now. And Avery pulled out a gun. And he shot Desmond. And he shot the gardener in the arm and he demanded all the butterflies come to him because now he is the owner of the butterfly garden. And he grabbed Maya by the hair and he said, you're no longer going to be some queen bitch of the garden or some shit like that, right? And the gardener was crawling towards Desmond because he was bleeding, like his chest was bleeding. And he said, Servat, Servat, can you go into the room and get some towels? We need to put pressure on his wound. Mm -hmm. And Avery was so busy, like, ha ha, I'm the fucking king. And so Servat was like, the room? Which room? He said, the, the one the one with the formaldehyde. Like, he doesn't want to say the room, though I kill you guys. And she said, oh, that room. And so he had clicked something on his little pad that he carries in his, you know, pocket, that the ones that bring the walls down. And it had unlocked that room with all of the formaldehyde, which is like a preservative. And some, it, it, she said it was like slow motion. Something about the way that she was so excited to go into that room. And it was Servat, the one who's obsessed with ways to die. And they all looked at each other and they heard the biggest explosion and just fire sparks flying out of that room. So she had set formaldehyde on fire okay. to kill everyone. And, and the gardener was like, I have a room of literally backed up fertilizer for all of the plants. And if that, the fertilizer is highly flammable. So he's like, we need to get out of here. And like the door was too far. Avery was like near the door, wailing his gun around. He grabbed one of the girls and snapped her neck. Like he was like literally on a killing spree. And so they're crawling around. And for some reason, as they're literally drenched in all these little fire ashes, they start hearing police sirens. And she said, why did they come back? And the FBI said, well, the main person, the police officer who had stopped by, got back into the car and called his, you know, 
officer, his supervisor, and said, you know, it, it was a cold call. It seemed like it was a prank call. Maybe some, you know, kid mad at his dad about something, right? A rich family, weird, really weird. And they said, well, who did they say was missing again? And they gave the names, Cassidy Lawrence, which was Lynn, and the new girl, Lily. And it was weird because Lily was kidnapped in Maryland and Cassidy Lawrence is from Colorado and she's been missing for like six years. So why would they be connected? Like, why would anyone even know both of their names? If you were calling because you're mad at your dad and said your dad kidnapped people, like, why would you do that, first of all? But second of all, you'd probably look at the local news and pick, like, two girls off the list. How would this dude even know about a Cassidy Lawrence who has been filed as a missing person since six years ago? And so they were like, you need to go back and question them. And they came back, and that's when they realized the whole fucking thing is, like, burning down. So they're like, call the fire department, and that's how they got out. But only like half the girls survived the explosion. And they take her into the next room where Desmond is hooked up to machines. And it seems like he will make it out too. And they're kind of looking at her because maybe this is like a happy moment for her. I mean, maybe they did like each other. I mean, I imagine how complex that is. And she said that she wishes that he would have died. Not because she hates him, but because he could have died a hero. But now he's going to live and be known as a coward who called too late. Because it doesn't really matter in people's eyes if he called right immediately, you know? It's different from calling after six months of knowing what's going on. So they leave, and as they're in the waiting room of the hospital, about to head back to the interrogation room at the FBI center, she hears Inara from the other side of the hospital. And she turns around, and it's Sophia, the retired hooker, according to her words, that lived in the apartment with her. It had been two and a half years. And she ran over and she said, I can't believe this. And they sat down, they're crying. And she said, I have all of your stuff. You didn't pack anything up. All the other girls thought that you just up and left because nobody filed a missing persons report for Inara because of the way that everything was set up. Like those girls that were living in that unit, they were all kind of running from something. Like none of them were just like, hey, my parents love me and they all miss me. They know I'm living here. Like all of them were either running from abusive ex-boyfriends or something like that. And so they just assumed that she had to run because something happened. And she said, but I didn't I knew you were gonna come back so I kept all of your stuff and my daughters miss you I have custody of my daughters now and she was like and then I read on the news that something happened and I just I felt like you would be here I felt like you would be here and the cops are like what do you mean you felt like you were gonna be here so they're hugging and she's crying and Anna's crying for the first time since that carousel ride and she's just bawling her eyes out and she says is this the garden and Anna's like yes it is and so the FBI sit down and they said we need to know who you are. Who? Sophia. So Sophia tells them everything. And this is why Inara was very like suspicious. Maya was being really suspicious about the way that she was telling the story. So the night that they came home from Madden Butterfly, Madden Butterfly, the charity event, Sophia was in the apartment and she saw all the girls take off their butterfly wings and toss it into the corner. And Sophia had a complete mental breakdown and she got drunk, like she relapsed that night. And so they went out onto the fire escape while all the other girls were partying in the room. And Sophia said, that when she was really young, she was like 16, and she was fighting with her parents that she ran away, and she got kidnapped by some dude. And he tattooed these wings on her, and so he showed her her back. And she said it was called the garden, and he would call us his butterflies. 
and there was some other girls there was a girl named Lorraine there and it was just so weird and she had gotten pregnant from that garden from the gardener and she somehow was able to escape because his first son um his name's like Avery or something he had just gotten access to the garden and it was real sick that they were doing this together but he had this access code that you have to type in to unlock the door to leave and nobody's allowed near the area but she would climb the tree and he would be so slow at typing in his code because he was new to the garden and she memorized it and when she found out that she was pregnant she knew that she was gonna die or that she would at least lose her baby so she ran away and she escaped and then she just didn't know what to do she couldn't go to the police because i mean by that point she was so traumatized she was just hooked on drugs that was the only way to get by every day no one would believe her the police wouldn't believe her she doesn't have a name she doesn't know anything it was just a garden like could you imagine being like i was kidnapped in a garden and he wanted me to be his little fucking butterfly and he fed me good food and yeah that's the story and so then she found out that maybe that this person i mean imagine that garden how much that costs this must be a very rich and powerful person and so she couldn't go to the police anymore when she got older because she was scared that they would convince her that she made this whole story up and that somehow he would get custody of his daughter and she couldn't risk that and so then she ended up having another daughter by somebody else and she became a prostitute had a rough life and she was trying to get clean for her kids and she just relapsed the day that they came home with all those butterfly wings and so inara heard about this and the police were like did you dead ass get kidnapped on purpose and she said no she didn't she didn't believe that the person who hosted the butterfly event was the same person she believed that this was a weird coincidence because it was, it's a real charity you know madam butterfly it's not just like i want a butterfly Ooh. event Maya. Maya knew the story. Maya found out that night when she got home from the butterfly event. Oh. And she didn't think that this was connected. She believed that that was some other creepy stalker, serial killer out there. She didn't think that it had anything to do with the Madam Butterfly people because that was a genuine charity. So she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Sophia. And they continued on with their life. And three weeks later, she was kidnapped and ended up in the butterfly garden. And she already knew. And she already knew. And she knew that this is where Sophia was. And so that's why she was a little bit different from the other girls because she was more calm and collected oh. and that's why she kept climbing the trees to see if she could get people to put the code in to read oh. the code but she could never get it and then desmond walked in because avery was getting slick with it and i'm sure his dad beat him up after you know one of the butterflies escaped and so then desmond came in and she was like okay well this could be my only chance and then that's how they escaped and that was why she was being so suspicious because she didn't know how Sophia would feel if all of this got connected back to Sophia. She doesn't want Sophia to be in trouble? Yeah. Like, not be in trouble, but not feel the guilt of, like, knowing all these other girls. This happened. And never reported it? Yeah. So she told a slightly different story? Yeah. But how she got out was because of all the drama, like, mm -hmm. fire. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily Sophia that helped her out, but she just, she was really crazy about not telling stuff about her past because nobody, she didn't want anything to be tied to Sophia because she was worried about Sophia and her kids. I see. And then Sophia told her, we're family now and they cried is that end of it that is the end what no justice i think there's another book i'm not gonna read it but there's more to this story i think there's like a half ending to the justice part and how the girls acclimate to the rest of the world once they get out this is the dessert we made i'm gonna take a bite <laughs>
this isn't like some really like, like almost like a code slash kinky slash religious slash mm -hmm. it's just a really because like the fact that the dude is crying yeah he acts like he doesn't want to do this but uh -huh. he's doing it for the greater good was it creepy it was kind of sick huh this book it has amazing reviews. It has over four stars, like 45,000 reviews on Goodreads, which is a lot of reviews for a book. So I imagined it to be more serial killery. Like I thought it was gonna be more true crime with a twist of like the butterfly garden, but it ended up feeling more like a fan fiction, like some weird fan fiction. You know, I don't really like to read extensively, even fictionally about assault or assault situations, but I think in this case, they should have included it because if they don't include it, but they include all the parts of the gardener being such a human person, it almost makes you be okay with the gardener, which I think is very dangerous and like very bad. But then again, it's fiction and I might be looking too much into it because I'm into true crime. And so all of these are like, oh God, oh God, this is not good. Like, how are you gonna do it like this? Because I mean, that's like the one thing with true crime is like, you don't glamorize a wealthy serial killer yeah exactly and this one was just it was glamorizing it yeah like the beauty of the butterfly garden was there and i get it it's fiction it's supposed to transport you into this butterfly garden but dead ass when they're describing this man-made waterfall i'm like i'd like to visit sounds like disneyland and then i'm like just kidding i'll die if i visit and then they would just describe the gardener as being this handsome man who was so poised and just like so mysterious and there was just i don't know it was like such a weird i feel maybe all the reviews are from people who aren't into true crime so it feels like just a very easy read that's kind of like weird dark kind of like weird and kinky and shit. but then as someone who reads a lot of true crime you're just kind of like this That's is this is problematic. <laughs> How is you not canceled? <laughs> I feel canceled just reading this book. <laughs> yeah, it was a really weird book. But I will say the writing is good. So like it's one of those books where like if you don't think too into it, the writing is enough that you don't throw it on the ground being like, oh, like it's not like the woman in the window where it just goes on and on and on about how much she drinks wine and doesn't remember things because she's drunk or like the kind worth killing that it's like and then she took a left turn at satellite boulevard you know <laughs> like it's not like that like you will actually finish the book but then afterwards you just feel kind of messy like you're like i'm on the messy side of mystery thrillers like this is the type of side that the other authors are like oh it's just a little weird and then the fact that most of the girls are underage but then you like end up blocking it out in your head because they act like they're like 32 year old FBI agents themselves. So it's really confusing. It's just also confusing I don't know how to feel about this book I felt the need though to do a banging a mystery on it because I mean it is a little bit different And like I think that uh, the plot is there the idea of it is there the mystery the, the mystery the butterfly garden. Yeah, I just was not expecting that like when I read the back I was expecting genuinely like a bunch of dead corpses like using their bones to create like a butter like something no. like that it does it does give me a little bit of those sci-fi movie vibes. yeah it's like you're in this like futuristic yeah. mansion that looks like a garden mm -hmm. and then these women just walking around mm -hmm. living a fake life so give me that like sci-fi vibe yeah. almost
And then I was looking into reviews too because I was like, I can't be the only one feeling this way. A lot of people were upset by this book and some people, I mean, they had the same questions as I. Like, how rich is this dude that he just feeds healthy food to like 25 girls every day <laughs> of every month? Like, I can't even afford to feed myself healthy food for like a month. Like, yeah. but then like, how does he have this time? How is nobody looking into his life? And then also you're just talking about like an atrium, like a dome of a garden. Like his wife really never went in, really. Like none of the press ever came. He never yeah. did like an architectural digest tour. Yeah, exactly. So many questions. And Maya, she is incredibly emotionless. <laughs> She's like, so then I climbed up the tree and I saw that he had a wife. And I was like, that's a wife. And I'm just like, cool. And then the FBI agents lacked so much character. Really? Like there was like this one chapter about the FBI agents and I was like, I'm gonna die right now because it was like, this one FBI agent, he joined this unit because his younger sister went missing. And this one, Agent Victor, he joined because his daughters call him a hero. And I was like, wow. This is really one-dimensional FBI agent. We don't even have one bad cop in this. Like, not even one. I don't believe you. They were all just like, we do it for our kids. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> no, like, it just adds to the unrealistic aspect of the yeah. writing. Like, like, the FBI agents are literally written by someone who I believe has not even watched one full season of Law & Order SVU. Like, it's that one-dimensional. There is no depth to the FBI characters at all. And half the story is told in the perspective of the FBI characters. So I'm like, how are you going to give them such weak-ass background? There was no character. I couldn't tell one FBI agent from the other. And honestly, they were like, this is going to be hard, getting all this information out of this girl who wants to be hidden. And then they were like, tell me about the garden. And she was like, so anyways, and then this shit happened, this shit happened. And then I was like, so it wasn't so hard, was it? And then every chapter, they're like, it's going to be even harder to get this information out of Maya. But I'm going to do it because I do it for my kids. Are you okay? I'm upset. I'm upset. I didn't want to show this anger in the beginning because I didn't want to ruin it for y'all. But I'm fucking upset. I'm emotional. Right. I'm angry. I think go. You know how much it costs to get like a small tattoo? Does he write these off? Are these tax exempt? I, I just... Anyways. If you don't want to be disappointed, go watch The Murders at White House Farms by HBO Max because I'm telling you, watch the whole, all of it. None of that is disappointing, like this book. <laughs> so if you guys want a better use of your time, don't read the book, watch that series. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's video. Thank you, HBO Max, for working with us. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Uh